Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. This is where we talk with different pastors and Bible workers and church members from North New South Wales about anything that has to do with mission, personal witnessing, and evangelism. And we always have a really good time, I think, and I really enjoy doing the podcast. And I thank you guys for joining in as I talk to different guests about what the scripture has to say about evangelism. We try to be super biblical in this podcast where we start and end with the word of God. And today I've got Nathan Andrioli with me, and he is serving God as a Bible worker in the Northern Rivers. And thanks, Nathan, for hanging out with me for a bit. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey, could you maybe tell those who hear this podcast, maybe a thing or two about yourself so they could get a picture of you? Yeah. Yes. I've been a Bible worker for several years off and on. I finished my Bachelor of Ministry Theology 2017. I'm a father of two kids. I'm now currently serving at the Bray Park Church, in, which is near Moolumba. Yeah, that's awesome. I really appreciate you, man. And I'm glad that you're on our conference's ministry team. And yeah, so we're talking today, everyone, about something that's really interesting to me that I think is really important when we consider our ministry. And that is avoiding the danger of becoming too critical about other people's ministries. And as you would have noticed, the podcast is entitled, What's It to You? Follow Me. And that's based on a conversation between Jesus and the Apostle John, where Peter has been reinstated to his status as a disciple, and the other disciples are hanging around. Jesus is there. The resurrected Jesus is there. And Peter is interested in John, and he says to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? And the inference is, what he's really asking is, I want to know John's business. I want you to tell me what your plans are for John and for John's ministry. And Jesus's response to Peter is, what's that to you? What's, that's not your business. What's that to you? If he stays alive until I come, you follow me. And so that's what we're really talking about today. And Nathan, have you ever been in a situation where you've seen someone or you yourself were tempted to sit in judgment of someone else's ministry or maybe get overly concerned about someone else's call and life and circumstances? Yeah, totally. I've seen it at a very critical level from third party, but I have been tempted myself to say, oh, maybe I wouldn't have done it that way or he should have done it that way. But then I do like to look at myself after in my evaluation of a situation. I do like to look and say, God gives everyone a certain gift. And as long as that as long as they're not breaking the rules of scripture and engagement in that, then I need to just let the spirit flow. And, and maybe that person, that time that person was speaking wasn't for me. It was for somebody else in the room. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. When I was a young volunteer missionary, I remember finding myself feeling really negative about certain people and their ministries. And sometimes those negative feelings were legitimate in the sense that there were real issues that, that I could see that were in the ministry, or maybe I saw that a person had a, a fault in their character. They were just a faulty person, or maybe they were doing things in a way that I felt was unethical. Other times it was just like, there was something about the person in the ministry. I just didn't like something I sensed was wrong. And I'd find myself feeling super concerned about their ministry, super down on their ministry. And then I'd ask myself the question, really, why are you so focused on this other ministry? And then the words of Jesus come to mind. What's it to you? Why is that your concern? You follow me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think the the problem can arise that it can consume you and you can put, you're thinking about this person and you're having negative thoughts 
Whereas if you weren't thinking about them and you were going about your business, you'd be able to be more positive and direct yourself and spend more time being positive and influencing people or influencing others around you in a more positive way. So why is that? Do you, why do you think it's unhelpful to be in the position that Peter was in when he was talking to Jesus, like where he's concerned about someone else's ministry, not focusing on his own relationship with Jesus? Firstly, as you said, Peter has, he denied Jesus three times. He's, he'd been away. So he's got a lot of growth. He's got a lot of development to do. Even after when Jesus, when, when they were hiding in the upper room, like they were still not developed to fully and wholly. They still didn't get the whole concept of ministry and they weren't exactly in, in tune with Jesus's understanding of what's going on, right? I think that can become a danger as we can stunt our growth in ministry. We can really cause a stumbling block to ourselves when if we were to just focus on Jesus, he can, he's going he's gonna to help us to look inside ourselves and to find the faults in ourselves so that we can fix those. And perhaps, possibly, the faults that we're seeing in others are actually just a reflection of the own, our own faults. Yeah, it's funny. It's almost like a distraction, right? As if God has given me the task of overseeing everyone else's life and ministry and circumstances, when my life and ministry and circumstances are not what they should be, or the whole idea of a speck in their eye and a log in my eye. And it's just so natural for us to be so concerned with others and their ministry and how they're doing things. And we can become very critical and we set ourselves up as like the judge of how everyone else's ministry is supposed to go. But then we forget that God has given us an important work to do. And that requires dedication to the Lord, like focus and dedication and sacrifice. And, uh, and if we're focused so much on other people's ministries, then we're not focused on our own, <laughs> like our yeah, own walk, our yeah. own calling, our own personal ministry. Yeah, I can say I've been caught up with that in, in the past. Like when you graduate from theology and ministry, there's that expectation that, not that that was my intention, but there's that expectation that you're going to get a job. And then when you see others get the job who you think, mate, why is this guy getting the job? I saw him doing this and I know that he does that. And then you dwell upon those things and then you get a bit resentful uh, rather than thinking, man, I just smashed a four-year degree coming out of a high school education, not even a like a year 10 high school education. And God has definitely has blessed me and given me so, so many skills and attributes. It almost seems like when you undervalue your ministry, you start to covet the ministry of others. That's mm. what I've seen in myself. When I don't realize how honored I am, to just be called by God in the first place and to serve him any way he asked me to serve him. That's when yeah. I start to think, oh, well, I had the same thing. I went to a mission school and there'd be people who I knew, man, like they're sleeping in every day. <laughs> like they're not like practicing a moral lifestyle in, in their own lives and stuff. And I just felt, yeah, there were some phony baloney guys and girls who were faking it until they made it. And I was just like, don't these professors get it? Don't our instructors see what's going on here? God, what's going on? And then you get <laughs> absorbed in, and whether that's valid or not, it's not your place to worry about that. And it's our place to focus on the ministry that God has called us to, period. Hey, dude, so do you think that, like, now I want to throw something out there to see how you respond to this. So if someone was listening to what we were saying and they might say, wait a second, are you saying that Cain was right? Like when he was talking to God about his brother, am I my brother's keeper? Like we are our brother's keeper. And oh, we yeah, do have yeah. a responsibility to those people who are around us. And the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful and we're not to be ambivalent towards the people around us or the ministries around us or our church. And if we think there's a ministry that's not in accordance with God's word or a person who's ministering in a way that's like out of harmony with the principles of Jesus and the counsel of the spirit of prophecy, shouldn't we do something? Like we can't just become, like put blinders on our face 
and not care about our brothers and sisters around us. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, totally. Look, in our world of social media, seen it. there's these melees that go on. And I think we have to be really careful with how we engage in that. But at the same time, we need to do something because if you love your brother, you want to, you want to, you want him to be saved. You want to see him be saved. You want to see them not, you, you don't want to see them getting condemned for something you, you saw that maybe God, God told you or encouraged you to say something, but you didn't. So I think we really need to be careful with the way that we do it. And, and I have done that before. I have actually, in the best way that I possibly could, I saw that there was a certain minister that was doing something and I didn't agree with it because I felt that, that it was actually in direct contrast to what our beliefs are. And so I, I said it as lovingly as possible and I, I called upon the weight of evidence with that person. So that, and, and I never said, you're wrong or you did this or you should have done it like this. I said, it was basically like, this is what the Bible says. This is what Spirit of Prophecy says. Consider the evidence and here it is. And that's as far as I can go. Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. But I've done due diligence in my part of acknowledging something that I think was wrong. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I wasn't, but at least I said that, but I wasn't in a combative state. So I'm not an enemy with that person. I'm still, I care about that person. Yeah. So it's kind of, you got to keep equal tension, like between not being, you just can't be overly concerned. You can't be a navel gazer who's obsessing about what other people are doing. That's the spirit of kind of competition. Who's the greatest, all of that stuff. But then at the same time, in your heart of hearts, we should really care about others. And if God brings it to our attention that someone else is in danger or doing something in a way that's disrespecting God or inconsistent with the principles of the gospel, like in their ministry, then we probably should say something. Like at least if we, and even just ask questions or maybe give people the opportunity to explain to us where they're coming from or why they do what they do and why they do things the way they do it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Jesus was like the question master. That was exactly how he would get, he would get them to reveal themselves to themselves, I believe. Yeah, that's it. Like the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler, what's your reading of the law? I've done this, this, and this. What about your riches? That's your idol. Yep. Not totally. That's it. Hey, say, hey, just share something with you. And my, that kind of bounces around my head at times is that people have preferences. You have preferences. I have preferences. We all have preferences. And we can fall so deeply in love with our preferences that we think that everyone else should prefer what we prefer, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes I catch myself when I invite people to my house and I like cook them dinner. I always cook them what I like to eat. <laughs> it's what I prefer to eat because I just assume that my taste is the best or, or that everyone's going to love what I love to eat. And I told my wife the other day, I thought, I said, yeah, I should probably diversify the meals when I invite people over because I always just cook like my favorite food. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, isn't this awesome? And I think people like it, but sometimes there might be food that they'd enjoy better. And I should, anyways, but this is just an example of how we just assume that our preferences are great. And many times they are, but this happens with ministry too. We have a taste for how things should be done. We have a certain philosophical view of ministry, of outreach, of evangelism. And although there are certain fundamental principles that are core to all successful outreach, there are lots of ways to approach, say, developing connections with people in the community. There's lots of ways to do that. You can go to community centers and just talk to people. You could go to join a book club. You could start a, a meetup group online or whatever. You can go door to door and knock on people's doors and say, hey, I'm your neighbor, whatever. You know, there's, do a cafe ministry, start a vegetarian restaurant, whatever. Tons of things you can do to develop interests and contacts. Now, I may prefer certain ways to develop relationships, but that doesn't mean that everyone in the church who does outreach ministry has to prefer meeting people and connecting with them the way that I do, right? Totally, yeah, yeah. 
totally. I've been uh, recently, I was actually thinking about that and I was thinking there's some people that own businesses that it wouldn't be in their best interest to come. They wouldn't be able to do what I do is spend all my time following people up, chasing people up for Bible studies and creating different ministries to, to get people involved and in the sort of circles of Christianity. But there's some people who own businesses who are very faithful. They give their money to the church and not necessarily to the church, but to the church ministries. And they reach people through their business just by having conversations, whereas I would never be able to do that. Yep. No, that's right. And I want to be a kind of pseudo psychologist here. And not because I'm a psychologist, but because I'm honest with myself and I really consider deeply why I do what I do and why I feel the way that I feel about other ministries and other people. And I think that gives me a window into others. Cause you know, the Bible says there's no temptation that's taken you except for what's common to man. So I know that my mind, my heart is not too terribly different than everybody else's. So if I understand myself, it's going to give me an ability to understand people, others a little bit better. And so I know intuitively subconsciously I know that I can't run around the church prescribing to everyone that they need to do things the way I want them to because I prefer that's how it's done. I know that won't go over well. Like I don't get lots of points socially. I don't get a lot of social credit by running around telling everyone you have to do what I prefer because I prefer it. So what will happen is I'll find sacred reason to advance what I prefer. So I'll sacramentalize my preferences in such a way that it allows me to look spiritual while I'm just trying to impose my view of how everyone should do what they're doing the way I want them to. So like, for example, I'm an evangelist. I've done many evangelistic campaigns. I've worked with lots of churches over time to do those campaigns and have a certain way of, of presenting messages, like a certain way to emphasize it. And it's based on my years of experience talking to people who are not Adventists. And uh, someone else might have years of experience presenting too. And they may present differently. They knew a different set of people and had a different set of experiences and they're a different person. Then I watch this other evangelist and he's doing things in a way that I don't prefer. And then I'm like, what an idiot. And then in my mind, like he's not doing things the way I want him to. I don't like this. I feel threatened. He's getting success in a way that's different than the way I could get success. And, and so then, uh, yeah. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm like, ah, oh. I try to find like theological reasons to condemn the person. And I go like on a medieval witch hunt in my mind, like an inquisition in my mind where I'm taking scripture and I'm just trying to condemn what the person's doing because they're doing things in a way that I don't prefer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, to I totally, yeah, yeah. And honestly, I'm only saying this. I think that people do this all the time in all of our churches. And I think it's a huge impediment to the success of our mission. Do you think that's the part of the core reason why we have like this conservative liberal delineation? Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, because if people say, well, I'm putting them in that box because they have this particular understanding about how ministry works, and I'm going to put them in this box because that's how they, but really, can you really put someone in that box? Is that, is that what the idea that they identify with hundred percent fully? Yep. That's right. That's it. And the apostle Paul was super liberal at times when it came to ministry. Like I think it's Philippians chapter one, where he says in that chapter, oh, I don't care if they preach the gospel out of contentious motivation or if they're sincere, I don't care. As long as the gospel's preached, like that's a pretty liberal way to approach the ministry of others. Like it's a very generous assessment of other people in their ministry. Now we know that he's not giving a comprehensive assessment of how he feels about those individuals or whatever. He, he's not advocating for being insincere when you preach the gospel. He's just simply saying, hey, if the gospel's preached, slick. He's basically saying if the word is hitting their ears, that's, they're pointing people to Jesus. Yeah. He's, I don't care if they're imperfect or out of line with Christian 
attitudes and standards, whatever. But at the same time, he was very rigid in regards to other people. He's, if, they, if you hear an angel in Galatians 1 preach differently than you heard me preach in regards to this fundamental teaching on Jesus and soteriology in the gospel, let him be accursed. That's a pretty conservative way to approach things, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think in, in, we need to realize that, that life is complicated and everyone's on a journey and we can't judge, completely judge and condemn a person or group of persons or a minister or a ministry because of some imperfections that we can see in it after a casual observation, after a preliminary observation of, of other people. So I think we've got to be really careful with that. Totally. I agree. Before we end, because we get, we, this is a short podcast, man. It's always just like 20 to 30 minutes, short and sweet. You ever, just on the conservative and liberal thing, I get a bit bothered. Tell me how you feel about using relative terms as pejorative or as bad names. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Re relative terms to call people a bad name. Yeah, it definitely bothers me. Like some people would, I've been called conservative, I've been called liberal, and it bothers me. It's, no, I'm not. I just want to follow Jesus. I just want to, whatever the scripture says, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do anything outside of that. And anything that I ever do, if it has been wrong, I'm, and I've read it in the scripture, I'll correct myself. I'm not delineated by any sort of pejorative understanding of what someone thinks or box they put me in. I'm a growing, I'm a developing person, just like a child develops. Uh, if I've done something wrong and someone, like if you said, hey, Nath, I don't, this is, I think you did this wrong. And I'll say, oh, okay, is that what the scripture says? Is that what the spirit of prophecy says? And if it says that, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to ask God to help me to fix it. So it doesn't, it, that takes me out of that thing because I know that I'm developing. I can't, I'm not, when none of us are static and in one place at all times in our lives, we're always moving. Yeah. If someone says, oh, that ministry, it's too conservative or that person, they're too, that ministry, they're too liberal. Like in what ways? In regards to what? Those are good questions to ask. If somebody were to make that assessment, like that group of people who are doing that ministry, they're too conservative. A good question to ask that commenter is in what ways? Is their theology conservative? It, it, what's conservative? It, like, yeah. In relationship to what are they conservative? And usually if you ask a critic lots of questions about why they've come to their conclusions, like when it's a critic of another ministry, they'll usually not have a lot of answers because they've probably not done a lot of close examining of that other ministry. They've usually just instinctually felt that kind of us and them tribal vibe that's in all of us. And they thought they're a threat to me and my crew and our preeminence in the church or our, their, yeah, our greatness. And so I don't like them. And then I'm going to formulate whatever I can. Now, I'm not in any way, by the way, saying that we shouldn't call out evil and sin and what's wrong. I want someone to call me out. If I'm being strict, too strict, overbearing, and placing unnecessary burdens upon people, I want to know. Help me out. Tell me. Thus saith the Lord, come beside me. Let's have a heart to heart. No worries. And I feel like I have that obligation given to me by God. But so I'm not saying, and guys who are listening, don't think that we're trying to communicate that there's not a time and a place for everything, like to speak out, to cry aloud and spare not and show my people their sins. Amen. That's it. I'm just saying we all need to avoid, collectively, we all need to commit to avoiding that Peter syndrome where we're overly concerned about other people's ministries. And then that becomes a distraction from our own. Like, I've got an enormous task to fulfill my purpose in life as a father, as a husband, as a minister of the gospel, as a personal witness. And I couldn't say that I'm succeeding on all those fronts. And so why in the world would it make sense that I'm going to obsess myself about what everyone else is doing? How's that going to help the world? But we are watchmen in Zion, so you got to stay balanced. There's a possible. balance. Yeah, yeah, that's it. There's a balance, yeah.
That's it. Bro, any parting words of wisdom before we wrap it up? Look, I have John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a very strong chapter when it says, I'll read it out. It says, Most surely I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will enter eternal life. This comes uh, after the feeding of the 5,000. And when Jesus asked, Jesus deliberately asked the disciples, he says, you know, how are we going to feed these people to test them? And they're like, we got to spend money or we got to, what about this guy? What about that guy? He said to them, then he get, he gets the, the bread, right? The barley loaves and he breaks the bread and he has two loaves that never, ever run out. And he gives them to the disciples. They take it and they give it to the people there. And the people can eat as much as they want until they want to stop. It's our job as ministers of the gospel to just keep receiving that, to look at Jesus, keep receiving that bread of life from him and pass it on without looking about what, whatever anybody else is doing, but just to keep passing that bread on. And the more, the more we are with Jesus and we are spending time with him and, and in his word, we're receiving more and more bread and we're just handing it on and handing it on. When we have that process in our lives, it's very difficult to worry what anybody else is doing because Jesus will just keep giving us more bread. And that's been a, that's been a personal experience of mine. We we'll love it. That's so good. Yeah. Hey, there's something that I want to end with, and I don't, shouldn't say this. There's a couple of things I want to end with, just throwing it out there. And that's that the situation that we see in John 21 with Peter and Jesus and John, that parallels a bit with the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And I think that's in Numbers chapter 16, where they're a bit jealous of, it's not a perfect corollary, but it, there's a loose connection there. They're jealous of Aaron's ministry and Moses's ministry. They intercede for the people in God's presence. They basically stand as priests in between. Now, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram are part of the Levitical tribe, right? Tribe, like, yeah. They're part of the Levites, and they're, they had a really important ministry. I found out, like, Korah was a son of Kohath. He was a Kohathite. And the Kohathites were people who transported the utensils of the Ark of the Covenant from place to place. Really, they were walking in the footsteps of the angels who attend the throne of God as it moves, like you see in Ezekiel at the beginning of the book. They're basically like human figures, human representatives of angels. This is a super important ministry, an amazing ministry. And I think they lost sight of that. And because they lost sight of the great privilege that God had committed to them, they started looking over the fence and seeing the ministry that God committed to their neighbor, and then they got mad. And they tried to go over there and challenge that ministry and become compatible to, 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 to Aaron. And then this ended up costing them their lives, like they lost everything because of it. I just think that that's a really important lesson for us. Do you think that has any relationship to, they, they, maybe they made their ministry a bit mundane? They, they stopped seeing the beauty and the glory of God, and they made it a mundane thing, and so they needed something else to... Catch their they did what a lot of people do, and that was they exalted themselves through the ministry God had given them. Or in other words, they used ministry as a platform to exalt themselves. And so it was about them. It wasn't about the ministry. And they didn't realize their nothingness in God's presence. Because had they remembered their nothingness in God's presence, they would have realized that they were privileged to do the ministry. They didn't deserve to do any ministry for God. They deserve to be dead. <laughs> like the wages <laughs> right. of sin is death. Right. right, yeah. And here you go. You have eternal life. Your name is written in the book of heaven. And God says, go do this noble, amazing work on my behalf. And this is a blessing to you to do it. And then you get jealous of what he's not given you to do and worry about what he's given someone else to do. It's like satanic rebellion all manifest again in humanity. Something else I just wanted, this is on the topic of the conservative, liberal, supposed divide. The other day I was thinking, we're all conservative 
with things we believe should be conserved, like in areas where we feel like we need to be conservative. We're always conservative with what we like and always liberal with what we don't think is important. So whatever we think is essential, we're conservative about. Whatever we think is non-essential, we're not conservative about. This is a rule without exception. You find me any liberal in the Adventist church, and I'll find you someone who's conservative about what they think is essential to faith. They'll be radically conservative about it, like radically conservative. So these terms are wholly inadequate to define human beings that are complex or even to define ministries. Now, you could say, so I think we should develop better language when we're talking about other people and be more cautious and careful not to oversimplify them and what they do and who they yeah. are. We, you got to stop pigeon, pigeonholing people because they're on, everyone's on a journey. You can't pigeonhole them. That's right. And I found people who are theologically liberal on big fundamental Adventist issues, but who are institutionally conservative and really rigid when it comes to policies of how we do things in the church. Are they conservative or are they liberal? Well, it just depends on what you mean by that. Like they're institutionally radically conservative. The Catholic Church was kind of like that, right? Like you're theologically liberal, like you just you inject all of these pagan concepts into biblical theology, and then you kill people if they don't follow your church prescriptions. Yeah, if they don't do your man-made stuff, which is policy, you're going to kill them and burn them at the stake. So they're radically conservative when it came to their man-made doctrines, but when it came to God's doctrines, they were, you could take it or leave it. Whatever. I guess whoever's on the whoever's on the pedestal at the time, that's what wins, right? Like you said, whatever I hold to value, whatever is yeah valuable for me, that's what I'm gonna put first. And that's I think Dude, that's the a, Bible says a big every, danger, right? Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Uh huh. Yeah. But God ponders the heart. They say a political conservative is somebody who got robbed in the park and they want stiffer laws. And a political liberal is somebody who got caught cheating on their taxes. So they want looser laws, right? Every way of a man is right in his own in his own eyes. And anyways, we can go on and on. But listen, bro, thanks thanks for chatting to me. I hope guys you've been you've enjoyed this conversation. I have. And God bless. See you guys.